Good morning. My name is Kelly Finlayson, and I will be reading the scripture today. Today's reading is from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who, has, who will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien residents in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that, the Lord, that your Lord, Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. We long for you, O oh God. We long to see your face. We long to touch your hands. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you may show us your face and fill us with your grace. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Somebody's tuning into the service, in the service. <laughs> oh, I felt like we were in some kind of vortex there. <laughs> Repeat after me. <No. laughs> well, here we are in the final uh, Sunday in our Ten Commandments sermon series. Um, some, of, some of you may be left wanting more, while others may be relieved that we're moving on. Some of you may just be conserving your fuel today and staying home. Uh, either way, it is, has been a wild ride for me, and I hope it's been uh, something meaningful for you as well. And since it's the last week in the series, uh, we're on the last commandment, and the full commandment reads like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs 
to your neighbor. Shorthand, really, is you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, covet isn't exactly a word that is in common everyday use, for most of us anyway. I mean, there is a store in Qualicum Beach called Covet. That's about, about clothes, and maybe, you know, you shall not covet any clothes that belong to you. No. But the textbook definition for coveting is to desire or wish eagerly for something. The deep desire to obtain or possess something we don't have. And it's a little bit more than that. It goes further than that, usually. The great medieval Jewish thinker, Moses Maimonides, said that this commandment admonishes us not to contrive schemes for acquiring what belongs to somebody else. So when we're thinking about coveting, we're thinking about a desire that's so strong, it leads us to act decisively in seeking it or taking it. And you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but the very first sermon I ever heard was on this commandment. It was circa 2004. My then girlfriend, now wife, Cheyenne and I, walked into Knox United Church in downtown Calgary for worship for the first time. We'd been there for a secular concert, English folky Richard Thompson, if you're in the know, a few weeks before, and we liked the brochure that was in the pew, so we decided to pay a visit. Cheyenne having a little bit of Baptist Sunday school and I with zero church experience at all. And the preacher for that Sunday was the Reverend Drew Strickland, eventually a mentor of mine who some of you met when he visited a few years ago. I am wearing his stole today that he gave me. I didn't stole it, steal it, but uh, stole, stole, stole. Um, I did covet it, though. And then I got it. He gave it to me. Um, and uh, Drew was preaching on Genesis chapter 3, also known as the fall of humanity. And earlier in the story, God creates Adam and Eve, the first people, and puts them in this beautiful garden called Eden. God stocks this garden with thousands and thousands of fruit-bearing trees. You can, you can imagine apples, pears, peaches, nectarines, those weird spiky ones at the grocery store. There's just trees for all, or as far as the eye can see, an endless supply of delicious food. God says, and God says, have at it. It's all yours. Go to town. All of it, except for one. The one tree in the middle. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one's mine. You eat it, you die. That's it. I can still hear myself echoing. Perhaps those of you who are you know, recording the service can take it somewhere else because I can still hear my echo. <laughs> That's it. You can have any other tree in the garden. Gobble up as many mangoes and coconuts as you like, but this one is off limits for your own good. You eat that one and you'll die. Now, of course, what happens next is that there's a snake in the garden, and the snake whispers in Eve's ear, and he tells her that God's not telling the truth. You'll be like God, and God just can't have that. God can't put up with that. So you should help yourself. Soon enough, Eve grabs the forbidden fruit, passes it 
to Adam, who doesn't take much convincing, by the way. She's like, hey, here you go. And he's like, all right, let's go. And they both chow down and they end up naked, afraid, and ashamed. And they're sent out of the garden altogether. God gave Adam and Eve their choice of thousands and thousands of fruit hanging on thousands and thousands of trees, despite everything they ever could need, though they still wanted more. Right here in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, we have the Tenth Commandment. We have covetousness. It's spelled the end of Eden. Now, Drew, the preacher, told this story, and he summarized it like this. This episode provides us with a summary of the human condition. We, like Adam and Eve, are never satisfied with enough. Despite being provided with every possible good in creation by God, we're always coveting, always going after the tree we can't have. And the consequences really are broadly death. And Drew made the connection to our natural world and ecological destruction resulting from our constant drive towards expansion. And you could probably add, as the Bible does, as the commandment in the Bible does, our need for more land, more money, more sex, more power, more prestige, not being satisfied with what we already have. More real estate, you know, that's what the commandment says. Do not cover your neighbor's house. More stuff, the source of our supply chain headaches. More excitement, the source of our porn addiction. More wealth, the source of so much imbalance and injustice. It's the source of a lot of our personal restlessness and unhappiness too, because I'll be happy, finally, when I have the right house, or when I maybe if I leave my spouse for this other person, then maybe I'll finally be happy. The 10th commandment is at the heart of the human problem. A friend pointed out that if we just followed the 10th commandment, the previous four, no killing, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, would probably be taken care of because it's our insatiable appetite for more, more, more that leads to these transgressions and is the source of so much ruin. I mean, the Rolling Stones may have said it best when they said, we can't get no satisfaction. It's a true song. And I mean, if you know the Rolling Stones, you know they can't get no satisfaction. From the beginning, it's been more, 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 more. No matter how much we have, it's simply never enough. Now, I don't know where Drew's sermon went from here. I don't remember that part, which is too bad because it meant that I had to figure out how to go from here and write the rest of a sermon. I thought I could just retell Drew's sermon, but I couldn't remember the rest. One option might be to counsel us to simply be satisfied with what we've got, right? We could take a little Buddhist turn away from the worldly as a way to master our desires. Our desires cause suffering, Take away covetousness, and you take away the suffering it causes. That's one option, I guess, and it's good advice, and I have given that advice before. Just be grateful. But have you ever tried that? <laughs> 
You ever try to just not want the stuff you don't have? I mean, it takes monks like a lifetime of discipline to even get in that general direction. And I can't even go a day without wanting to look at my cell phone. And I'm still eating Halloween candy. I'm still dreaming about when I finally have this or that. Or when this finally comes around, then I'll be happy for good. When COVID is over, it'll all be good. Everything will be as it should be. Giving up covetousness is easier said than done. Otherwise, we all would have done it by now. In fact, all the commandments, if it was simply just about doing them, we would have done them. But that's not how it works. I think the more compelling answer, though, can be found again back in that Genesis passage. Remember how the snake tempted Adam and Eve with the prospect of becoming like God. We might think, gosh, what an arrogant idea. Why would you even want to be like God? But the snake was playing on a real truth about us. This desire for more, this covetousness is part of how we are made. It's part of who we are. Reinhard Hutter, you know him, uh, a professor at Duke Divinity School, puts it like this. He says, to be clear, desire as such is not bad. Indeed, we are created as creatures with desires. To be human is to be desiring. To be human is to be desiring. All of our desires, however, are created to come to a rest in the ultimate good, communion with God. St. Augustine's famous prayer, you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you, expresses how our desires find rest and fulfillment only in God. Without desire, we would cease to be human, he says, But without God as desire's ultimate end, we become inhumane. Which is to say, we covet that which doesn't belong to us. We are made in the image and likeness of God, so of course we're going to long for God herself. That's why it's so hard not to covet. We long for eternity. It's part of who we are. And in fact, to not desire might even be the worst thing because it leads to depression. Depression is to not desire anything at all. The great philosopher Blaise Pascal said that there is a God-shaped vacuum or God-shaped hole in the heart of each human being which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. So we have within us this infinite longing. We try plugging in money, like, oh, there's this hole here. Okay, put some money in there, and it's like, it's gone. Oh, the hole's still there. Ah, sex, power, prestige, possessions, The forbidden fruit in the garden, 
It just goes right into that vacuum and is gone, and we grasp and reach and hurt again. Just for that momentary sense of enoughness. And then it's on to the next thing. Oh, more sex. False hopes and false gods. We just keep on looking for love in all the wrong places. If you know that old country song, maybe you don't. The only thing, the only one who can satisfy this longing in us is the living God. God who is both the source of and ultimate end of our seeking. The problem isn't that we covet. The problem is what we covet, what we long for. The problem is what we covet. The problem is who we covet. Anything else will eat us alive and probably already has. God is who we've all been looking for from day one. That impulse, that drive in you for more, 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 the one that never seems to cease or satisfy. God is who you are seeking, even if you don't know it. And you know what the unique beauty of Christianity is, though? You don't have to go very far to find God, right? Christianity isn't a technique or a scheme to assist you in your search. The story the Bible tells isn't about our search for God. It's about God's search for us, we who have left the garden It's about God's search for us. Israel was bound in slavery in Egypt, and God came to set us free. God's people were mired in sin, oppressing the poor, and God sent the prophets to turn them around. Israel was in exile in Babylon, and God brought them home. And when the time was right, God became human, took on flesh, filling that hole in our souls with pure grace. And like God strolling through the morning dew of Eden, searching for Adam and Eve, God's never stopped searching, seeking after us to bring us home, to bring our hearts to rest yet again. Christianity isn't about our seeking God. It's about God seeking after us and finding us where we are here and now. So the good news is you don't have to search very far at all. You don't have to go looking for God because God's already come looking, come knocking in Jesus Christ, simply waiting for you, waiting for us to let him in. Everything we do as a church from worship to prayer, to reading the Bible, to taking care of each other and serving the least, last, and the lost. We're clearing the path in our souls for God to fill us with his spirit and change us, to make us new, to make us more like Jesus, the fully satisfied, fully human one. And that's pretty much it. That's the tenth and final commandment.
to search for the God who's already searching for us. Which actually brings us back to the first commandment. Do not put any other gods before me. We keep this commandment by ceasing to covet all the wrong things, the endless list that never truly satisfies, and instead seeking after, searching for, and longing for the God who made us and everything else will follow. So, friends, in the words of Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek after God, knowing that God has already come seeking after you. And all these things, the joy, the beauty, the love, the satisfaction you've searched for everywhere, but that has always eluded you, not only will all these be yours, but they already are yours. In Jesus Christ, who has come to you today and forever. May the beautiful, eternal Lord of promise have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Amen. Please stand for our hymn of the day. Breathe on me. Breathe.